back. You're listening to the Arm Date Podcast. I'm your host, Tony. Today is Sunday, the 18th of July, 2010. Well, it's been a while since I've put out a show, and uh, I've got, I think, a really good one today. I've got a uh, review on the Ruger 1022 from our friend Ken, and uh, he's going to be doing a, a three-part thing, and he kind of explains it in his uh, audio that he sent me, so I'll let him go ahead and talk a little bit more in depth about that. Uh, I have been pretty busy, and like I said, I know I've wanted to to make this podcast a weekly one or at least a bi-weekly at the, at the bare minimum, but uh, I've been so busy these last couple of months. Uh, hopefully, uh, starting probably next month, things are going to change a little bit. And I'll be able to uh, maybe get back on a little bit better schedule with that. So uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and do some contact info. And we'll get that stuff out of the way. And uh, then I'll tell you a little bit about what's been going on. And then we'll jump into Ken's review. If you want to get in contact with me, there's a couple of ways to do it. The easiest way probably would be just to pick up the phone and call into the voicemail line, and that's area code 206-339-3266. And again, that's area code 206-339-3266. If you want to drop an email or if you are uh, got a review that you want to send in, the place to send that to is thearmedape at gmail.com. And again, that's all going to be one word, which is thearmedape at gmail.com. Now, I've recently done a what I think may be a fan page over on Facebook. I've joined up over there. So uh, if you type in The Armed Ape, you can see uh, the fan page. There's not a lot on it now. I'm, I'm so new to Facebook that I'm not exactly sure kind of what I can and can't do with it. Um, what I was thinking about doing is going back and looking at the shows that I've done where I've actually done reviews and then putting up photos of the things that I've that I've reviewed on that fan page Uh, and then you can also find uh, me on Facebook which is uh, Tony Brown and uh, just type that in and and on my thing it's got the uh, you can find the the fan page of the armed ape if you go through that so uh, as far as kinda what I think about Facebook it's kinda cool Again, I'm not. I'm so new to it. I don't really know how much I'll be on there or what I'll be doing with it. Like I said, primarily, I think I'm going to use it to maybe highlight some of the stuff that we talk about here on on the Armed Ape, and then also uh, with my other podcast, Firearms Cafe. And I think I can, I should be able to do another, maybe like a fan page for Firearms Cafe as well. So so for me, so far, what I kind of like about Facebook is that you can, um, if the person has put their picture or some photos of themselves up on there, you can at least put you know kind of a face to a name or to an email that I get, that type of stuff. So anyway, we'll see how Facebook works out. Um, like I said, I'm so new to it, I don't know if it's going to do what I kind of thought I wanted it to do. So we'll see how that goes. All right, um, let's see. What do we talk about next? At the end of June, 
we, uh, my family and I went back to Oklahoma, and that's where most of my family lives. And we had a family reunion, and it was really nice uh, to get to see everybody. And, you know, some of my family members I hadn't seen in probably 10, 12 years. You know, um, as all of us know, as we kind of get settled into our own lives and everything, and especially as people sort of spread out and disperse throughout the country, it's hard to keep up with people um, and, 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 you know, your own family and stuff like that. So it was really neat to be able to kind of reconnect and do things like that. Shortly after we got back from our reunion trip to Oklahoma, we went on vacation to Montana. And uh, we were up, if you guys are at all familiar with kind of the layout of Montana, we were up on Lake Flathead, or Flathead Lake, I guess it's called. And, uh, man, it's really pretty up there. We've been to Montana before. I've talked about that, where I talked about uh, when I was traveling with firearms. I tell you what, I took a, I took my uh, one of my pistols up to Montana with me again, uh, again for, you know, personal protection. Uh, also, uh, you know, maybe as a bear deterrent or a critter deterrent type thing. And uh, now that I've flown with firearms a few times, it's super, super easy to do, and I think I talked about over at, uh, I think it was on Firearms Cafe, I can't remember what the uh, episode was, but I talked about kind of my initial experience with that, which you sort of had to go through. Kind of in a nutshell, basically, you have to have it in a, uh, what they would call an approved of case, meaning that it needs to be lockable, and uh, depending on what airline you fly with, sometimes they want the ammunition in a separate thing away from the firearm sometimes they want it in there usually they want it in an approved of uh, ammunition case which a lot of times would just be the factory box or you can get those the plastic boxes that are designed for it to hold each individual round uh, basically they just what they don't want is just loose ammunition so as long as it's in some type of a uh, a box or, a, or a, a little case that's designed to carry ammunition they'll be cool with that um, but it's I tell you what, now that I've done it a few times, it's just like falling off a log. You just walk up there when you're checking in. And it does have to go through check baggage, obviously. You can't have it as part of a carry-on thing. Basically, you just go up there. You say, I got a firearm to declare. And they're like, oh, okay. Sometimes they want to see it. They want you to open up the thing there at the ticketing agent and just show them the case. Most of the times, they're just like, all right, well, we'll send it through you know, x-ray and, and uh, we'll have TSA look at it. And as long as they're cool with it, you're fine. And I've never had a problem. I've never had anybody want me to open it up or do anything like that. So um, what I use is a Pelican case. It's a smaller, kind of like a, like a real shrunk down, like briefcase type thing. Um, and I use that. And it's what's nice about that is the latches lock on it. And the uh, it's also got holes in the plastic, you know, uh, where the case closes so that you can put little padlocks on there. So... I've not only got the latch locks, but then I've got two padlocks in there. And I think probably because of that and the fact that when I'm traveling with a pistol, I'll, di I'll actually disassemble it so that when they do run it through the x-ray, it's very clear that it's disassembled. So uh, maybe, I know it doesn't really necessarily make that much, uh, probably have a big difference to you or I, but probably to them it gives them a, a little sense of, hey, this guy's, you know, taking the extra step to make sure everything is safe and there's not a way that it can fire type thing. And I think that kind of smooths the transition for me. 
Uh, let's see. But those are kind of some of my reasons why I haven't been around uh, too much. Like I said, with the Facebook stuff, I may try and throw up some of our pictures uh, to Montana. Um, again, I don't know if there's a limit on any of that stuff. If anybody out there is kind of like a Facebook guru, give me a call on the voicemail line and just you know, let me know what you think or drop me an email, let me know. Um, as far as friending people on there, I don't, you know, like I said, I, I don't really care about how many friends I've got. I know some people say, oh, they get so many. Uh, the only thing I would say is kind of like with, you know, with the stuff with the reviews or if you're sending in an email or, and you know, to read it on the air type thing. Uh, I'm not, I won't tolerate any type of, um, for lack of a better word, we'll say like hate speech or something like that. So if somebody wanted me to friend them on Facebook and I went and kind of looked at their pages or whatever, and if it looks like they got like, a, you know, a bunch of hateful stuff on there you know, stuff where they're bashing things all the time, then I, you know, I wouldn't do that, so, uh, but other than that, you know, eh, who cares, like I said, we'll see how this whole Facebook thing goes, I may end up ditching it, I don't know. All right, let's go ahead, and we'll jump in with Ken's review, and uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting and a really cool thing that he's got planned, hopefully we'll be able to get sort of his other reviews um, he sent me some links, and so on the uh, if you go over to thearmedape.com to the website on the post, I'll put his links in there that uh, he set for the stuff that he talked about on this show. So, without uh, any more delay, let's go ahead and uh, let's give a listen to Ken's review. Hi, this is Ken from Colorado, and today I wanted to bring you a review of the Ruger 1022 as a Liberty training rifle. This is going to be a three-part series of reviews. Um, the first one being on the Ruger 1022. The second review is going to be on Spikes Tactical 22 conversion bolt for an AR-15. And the series is going to wrap up with a review of my experience at the Appleseed Project's Rifleman's Boot Camp. Um, these are all tied together, so hopefully by the end of the a short series um, you'll see why I, I wanted to do all three uh, and there's they're just kind of tied together today we're going to stick with the Ruger 1022 as a Liberty training rifle so let's just jump into the, the, the format of questions what is it and more importantly what is it for well a Ruger 1022 for anybody who doesn't know is a semi-automatic rifle uh, it's a rimfire rifle chambered in 22 long rifle. Uh, and actually, there were some chambered for 22 magnum, but I believe those have been discontinued. So, what is a Liberty training rifle? Uh, why would a 1022? How do you change it to be a Liberty training rifle? Liberty training rifle can be really a number of rifles. Um, some people you can use the SKS, some people will use a Marlin 22, something like a model 795. A lot of people use the Ruger 1022. Um, I picked the Ruger 1022 for a couple reasons. One was that I really like how the Ruger factory magazines fit in the rifle. They sit flush with the bottom of the stock. Uh, it's kind of a hunting stock style of a rifle. Actually, you can 
change that to be pretty much whatever you want but I like the factory max that they sit flush um, that that's really easy if you want to bring your hand all the way back to the trigger guard your support hand you can do that and you know have your hand right underneath the, the uh, magwell uh, the other reason was that the 1022 has more aftermarket available parts um, than virtually any other rifle on the market. Um, the only possible contender for that title would be the AR-15. Uh, you can actually pretty much construct an entire Ruger 1022 out of aftermarket parts. Uh, you can buy receivers, barrels, everything you can every part that's possible to buy you can buy uh, aftermarket you could build a completely non Ruger 1022 if you wanted to but that would be expensive so I actually started with a base factory Ruger 1022 let's see the uh, oh, so sorry I was going into the Liberty training rifle what makes a Liberty training rifle and what is it for well Basically, uh, what to differentiate that from any other rifle is just that you've modified the sights to mimic military-style sights. So if you get a 1022 and you put on these tech sights, uh, that's the company that produces them, tech sights, they mimic the sights that you would see on something like a M1 Garand or an M14, M1A, or even the M16. As far as you have a, a rear peep that's really close to your eye, and you have, uh, it's kind of hard to describe the front sight post and its protective ears, but it basically looks like a W out in front of you. Um, so that's the primary thing that makes up a Liberty training rifle is one, that it has those sights, and two, is really what you're training, or your, how you're using it for training. Most people will use these at 25 yards or 25 meters, and they're really trying to to nail down, develop, and maintain really solid rifleman skills. Uh, let's see here. I think we're going on to the next question here, and I'm going to rearrange these a little bit. Uh, I did so many modifications to it, I want to kind of go through that before I describe how well it performed. So, question number two, did I make any modifications to this item? Yes, I said lots. I started with a bone stock 1022 with a wood stock and a standard barrel. I had done a Google search before I went and bought this rifle. I did a Google search on Liberty Training Rifles and I actually found a post um, believe the forum was called the Northeast Shooters, and there was a guy who had all the links lined right up to Midway USA to uh, all the mods he had made, and they were ones that I had seen on other forums. And uh, when I clicked on all of those links, Midway USA happened to have them all in stock, so I pretty much went down the line and got them all. Um. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about all of them, but but most of them. And let's see. Oh, with the, with the exception of the sites, I ordered those directly from Tech Sites. Uh, so let me go through those parts that I ordered for Midway USA, and I'll I'll give you kind of a roundabout price of what I paid for those. Uh, one was I changed out the stock to a Hogue Overmold stock. 
um, for a standard barrel. And I, the reason I did that was I, I like synthetic stocks over wood stocks. So does my wife. And I've always thought that the Hoog stocks had a nice surface to them. It's sort of a grippy rubber and um, just seemed like a good way to go. And it really wasn't that expensive. It was only a $69.99 purchase on that particular stock. And when I was at my rifleman's base camp, several people felt the rifle, and everybody commented on how nice it felt. Uh, then there was two products I purchased that were made from a company called Volkortsen. And Volkortsen pretty much specializes in 1022 products, I believe. Um, the two that I purchased for my rifle were an automatic bolt release and an extract exact edge extractor. Uh, the reason I bought the automatic bolt release is that on a stock 1022 you need to have two free hands to manipulate the bolt release. If you have the bolt locked to the back and you want to release that forward to put the rifle into battery you need two hands and pretty much an engineering degree because I in 10 minutes I managed to do it a couple times but it was very difficult and it was not something I wanted to have to fool around with while I'm on the firing line getting ready to shoot a timed course of fire um, so pretty much anybody that I know that has a 1022 has, has either bought one of these automatic bolt releases or they've modified their bolt release to become an automatic bolt release and all that means is really that to release the bolt, all you have to do is pull the charging handle back and let it sling shot forward, virtually like any almost any other rifle on the market. Um, I decided to purchase one rather than modify mine just because uh, my Dremel skills are mediocre and uh, $10.99 seemed like a pretty good price, you know, to, to save myself that trouble. Uh, I probably could have gone forward with the factory extractor and see how that performed, but I had had some other issues, some other 22 rifles and their their extractor, so I decided not to mess around. It was a nine or excuse me, um, 9.99 part, not a big deal. Uh, it was going to teach me a little bit more of gunsmithing on my own rifle, so I went ahead and purchased that and changed that out myself. That was really easy change. The uh, the automatic rope release was actually a little more difficult. Um, now what was real nice about the Hogue stock, just to go back to that for a second, was that it had places for swing swivels already installed. And that was something that the stock that uh, the rifle came with didn't have. So I added a, couple, a pair of sling swivels from a company called the Outdoor Connection. Again, I got those from Midway USA. They ran $8.99 for the pair. And they were quick disconnect, which was really nice. And those were for an inch and a quarter sling because what I did, I already had a USGI sling, one of the OD green cotton slings that uh, attach front and back. I already had one of those and that was what I wanted to use for this apple seed shoot. Um... The last item that I got from Midway USA for 
total of $6.99, was a Bell and Carlson extended mag release. And I also felt that that was really important, and even though I hadn't owned a 1022 before, I, I had a... I had read several posts about the stock boat, or excuse me, the uh, stock magazine release. And when I got mine home, my 1022 from from the store, it was I was obvious why that needed to be changed. Um, in fact, the Ruger factory magazines have a little dip in the front, a little pocket for your index finger to come out and pry the magazine out of the magwell. That was just one more thing I didn't want to have to really mess with out on the firing line. I like drop-free mags. Uh, the extended mag release made that possible. I just all I have to do is bump that with my palm, and it comes out really easy. So that was the last mod I made. Most of those went very smooth as far as installation went. It wasn't too much in the way of rocket science. If you have really any misgivings of your skills as far as ch change parts out, your mechanical skills, go ahead and take it to Gunsmith, your local gun shop. Uh, maybe even be able to order those parts in for you, install them for you. Uh, let's see. And then the last item I added, I already mentioned, was the OD Green USGI Sling. And there's one more modification I would like to make, and I'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes. Um, and the uh, what did what I mention that there's one part that sort of gave me some trouble switching out, and that was getting the the original front sight off of its dovetail. I was trying to drift that off with a punch and a hammer, you know, kind of like a, a pin punch and a hammer. And it just didn't really want to budge much at all. I mean, it was after a, a couple of minutes of pounding, it moved like a couple of millimeters. So what I decided to do was to go grab, I had some cutting oil for uh, drilling and tapping holes. Uh, I'm pretty sure virtually any other good oil would probably work this way. But what I did was I... I dribbled that in around the site and, and that little dovetail mount and let that penetrate real well and after letting that sit for a couple of minutes the front sight actually came off pretty easy and then I cleaned that up and put the new front sight on let's see so let's uh, let's talk about how well the whole thing did that's question number three how well did it work? Actually, in the original configuration of questions, that's question number two. How well did it do it? And I'd say excellent. I really am happy about how the whole package came out. And um, it's just perfect functionally. It feels good. I love the sights. I did run into one issue with the sights that I hadn't really considered before I went out to the shoot. Uh, but it's not the rifle or the sight's fault. I had purchased new eyeglasses before going out to the shoot just by a few weeks, and I hadn't even really thought about it, even though I had been already to the range a couple times before going out to this eight-day shoot. My glasses, the new pair, are very short top to bottom, and so when I had my neck out 
onto the rifle stock with a you know good cheek weld I really couldn't look through my glasses at the front sight I don't I was pretty much forced to look over the top of the rim of the glasses so that ended up being an issue but really it was not the rifles fault uh, and shortly after getting back from the shoot I went to a local shop and had some new glasses made um, fortunately when I I purchased my new pair that I hadn't you know didn't work well out of there I hadn't used my insurance so I was able to use my insurance on buying some new shooting glasses so I got some nice giant aviators with a little bit of a yellow tint so those are going to be my new shooting glasses and I'm kind of looking forward to using those I haven't been back to the range but I've uh, been doing some dry firing at home very important practice by the way and that seemed to work perfect so the whole thing all together like I said worked really well my wife and I so far have put through probably I don't know somewhere around a thousand rounds through the rifle I'm thinking uh, and we fed it a, a variety of ammos different different types uh, primarily federal auto match which is a 40 grain lead bullet uh, bulk pack I think it comes in about a 330 or 350 round pack for around $15 at Walmart and that seemed to work really well the fact that it, I don't know like I'm not sure if I buy that it's a match grade uh, 22 ammo but I guess I did buy into it because I bought a couple boxes and and that's what we ended up using out there uh, in addition to the re regular federal bulk pack which is copper plated and I think that's only a 36 grain bullet uh, we also did put some CCI mini mags through it and some federal game shock just so I got to get a real feel for what it was able to eat you hear stories about 1022s being very particular about uh, what you feed them not so much with this rifle I have to say I'm really pleased and I, I want to attribute that to the aftermarket extractor I, I put in possibly possibly not not sure yet um, so all in all I think for if you're looking for a training rifle you know something that you want to use to uh, develop and maintain your skills possibly teach your children uh, f friends, co-workers, something that you can use at a 25-yard range to teach these skills or possibly take the rifle small game hunting and you're looking for something that you want to do with these kind of iron sights, I don't think you could look for a better package than I've put together. There are other, there's plenty of options as far as stocks. Um, you can actually buy parts to get bull barrels some target barrels you know, the sky is the limit as far as the 1022 goes I didn't really want to spend a fortune so with this rifle I, I stuck to a bit of a budget the rifle itself ran about 209 from my local gun shop I believe that a lot of your chains uh, sporting goods stores carry for approximately the same price I want to say the rest of the products I bought from Midway USA 
along with I did buy also four extra Ruger factory mags from them. Altogether, that ran about $170 shipped, somewhere around there. So I figure um, got a little bit under 400 in the rifle, and it's exactly the way I li like it. Um, the one thing I will end up changing out, and this is kind of I, important for me to talk about because it will negate some of the other modifications I did in a, in a sense, was I'm probably going to change out the entire trigger pack. I'm not super happy with the Ruger factory trigger. It's it's a little heavy at 8-ish pounds. Um, if you don't really know trigger pulls, that's probably about the pull of um, a double action only revolver, somewhere, something like that. Um, not exactly what you want in a target rifle. Uh, so I did get some recommendations from some other people at the shoot that I went to and really hands down everybody was uh, recommending that I look at a company called Hornet. So I went home and I did a Google search and I came up with Hornet products, or actually I did the search for Hornet Trigger, and then it was actually pretty easy to find them. They have a trigger pack uh, that is complete, and you just it's actually a really easy swap. You pull two push pins, put the new trigger pack in, you're ready to go. That runs about $95. Uh, one important thing to mention is that actually also includes an auto bolt release and an extended mag release. You don't have to purchase those extra items that I already did if you buy this trigger pack. So you're really killing three birds with one stone if you pick up this pack and you're saving yourself probably an extra twenty dollars off of those other two parts that I purchased previously. I don't feel too bad because I'm gonna end up keeping that that original trigger pack as a spare just in case something happens with it. But um, reducing that trigger pull from 8 pounds to a little bit less than 3, I think, is going to be well worth it. Um, it's going to also have a, it's going to be less gritty, lighter. Uh, and then there's one other thing I'm going to do as an upgrade to that trigger pack. Um, and it's an upgrade that Hornet does before they send it to you. Is that I'm going to buy a trigger that allows you to preset the over travel. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, over travel is the amount of distance the trigger moves rearward after the gun goes bang, uh, before it stops. And it's also the same amount of distance that you have to let the trigger out before the trigger resets. reason that's really important if you're doing a course of fire, repeated shots, is that you don't really want much of the rifle moving at all while in between shots. So the less you can produce movement in the in the rifle, the more you can limit that, the better. So I'm gonna go ahead and probably pick that that extra piece up. And uh, let's see. Let's go into question number four. What kind of mods would I like to see come from the factory? Well, it, it'd be really neat to actually see Ruger produce a Liberty training rifle themselves, uh, work out some sort of a deal with tech sites 
to uh, allow those to come straight from Ruger that way. I'd also love to see Ruger install their own autoboat release, but from my understanding is that they're not willing to do that as they see uh, an autoboat release as a possible safety issue. And I'm not sure I, I fully agree. You leave it up to your own judgment. Basically, what they're trying to say is that if you tap the buttstock while the bolt is locked back, uh, if you have an auto bolt release, there's a good chance that the rifle can go into battery. Basically, if you already had a magazine in, it would pick up a bullet and chamber it. But if all of your other safety factors are in place, then I don't see why that's a safety issue. If, you've, if your safety is on, the muzzle is in a safe direction, your finger's off the trigger, I don't know. Most other rifles on the market to my knowledge have that safety issue uh, I've done that with ARs where they've, they've gone into battery by accidentally tapping the buttstock on the ground um, I don't really see it as a huge deal well anyway to wrap all this up I think if you're looking for a rifle to help you develop maintain solid rifleman skills or possibly do some small game hunting a 1022 in the Liberty Training Rifle Configuration, probably exactly what you're looking for. If you'd like to spend a little bit less money and you don't really want to do a whole lot in the way of modifications, uh, Marlin does have their 22 bottle, I believe called the 795, and there are tech sites available for that model of Marlin. Uh, I believe that probably overall run you a little bit less. But I think if you kind of go on the net, onto both of their websites, and compare both of them, and you end up looking at the aftermarket products for the 1022, and you have any inkling that you'd really want to do any changes at all to the rifle, maybe make it, you know, go, go to a different stock, have the ability to do a few different stocks. Say you wanted to have one size of a, a Hogue overmold for yourself but you also wanted to buy a, uh, an additional stock that was a youth size model you could switch that out really easy I think the Ruger has the advantage over the Marlin unless you're just like I say you're looking for one rifle just to be inexpensive and uh, basically only have to put the front sights or excuse me the front and rear sight on well, thanks everybody. I hope you really enjoyed that review. The next review will be on the Spikes 22 conversion bolt for an AR-15. See you then. And that was our review by Ken, and Ken's in Colorado. I really appreciate that, Ken. That was an awesome review. I'm really looking forward to seeing your or seeing hearing the next couple of reviews that you're going to do for us. Hopefully, you'll have time uh, to get those into us. And uh, I'll post some of the links that Ken sent to me uh, over on the show notes over at thearmedape.com. Now, there was a couple of things that Ken had said that I think a lot of people maybe don't really think about. Uh, and these are just kind of minor little things. But um, the first one was he said that he did a lot of research with Google and about how there was a lot of aftermarket stuff. And that's really important if you're looking uh, at getting a... a any type of a firearm or pretty much anything uh, where you're going to need to maybe have it serviced or there's stuff that you're going to want to do to it. 
and that is is there going to be aftermarket parts for it is there going to be uh, other people is it popular enough to where there's going to be other people out there that you can learn from or are you sort of going to be on your own if you get this thing uh, also one thing he talked about which is actually something that I have uh, taken into consideration when I get my own glasses I wear glasses and if you've got real super like thin kind of stylish glasses they may not give you uh, enough of a uh, field of, of view through your glasses to be able to shoot properly um, and so I, I thought that was a really good idea and that's what I've done in the past is I've when I've gone to get new glasses I've thought well okay are these big enough and do they cover my eyes big enough to where if I need to if I'm out at the range shooting or if I'm doing this or if I was ever in a, a situation where I would need to defend myself are my and if my glasses were a little bit askew, is there enough surface area of the glasses where I can still see through them and still get a good sight picture still and, and not have everything go all fuzzy and stuff? I thought that was an excellent point and probably one that a lot of people who do wear glasses don't think about. It's time to whip out my pimp cane and beat some knowledge into your heads. So listen up, motherfuckers. All right. Let's talk about a couple of the other podcasts that I listen to. Uh, if you like B-movies and the older movies, there is one of the best podcasts out there, which is one of my favorites, which is the B-movie cast. Uh, and that's uh, Vince Rotolo's uh, site. He and Nick Brown do reviews. It's weekly. It's, uh, well, like I said, one of my favorite movie, uh, movie podcasts. Um, there's also, although he hasn't put one out, but if you go back and listen to some of the... Um, his past episodes, there's James Strite over at the Dried Blood podcast, which I really like. Um, he does lots of horror things. And I think upcoming he's going to have some stuff maybe on some of the Bogart movies. He uh, is just, I, I really like his style. Generally, he does solo stuff. The last episode or maybe the last two episodes, he's had a co-host with him. And it works well. Um, I like him uh, either by himself or with, with his friend. It doesn't make much difference, but uh, he's a very well-thought-out guy, uh, and a lot of his uh, passion for the movies and stuff that he likes to watch comes through. As far as some of the stuff that I've seen maybe movie-wise lately, we went and saw Predators, which I really liked. My wife liked it as well. Um, everything was kind of... Uh, with a caveat of, you know, movie logic, everything was sort of there. The people didn't really do anything that was too dumb. Um, there was a few little things here and there that I thought could have done better. But all in all, for what the movie was, I, I thought it was real entertaining and it was just a real good time. Uh, Adrian Brody pulls off his role uh, as kind of like a, a mercenary uh, type guy. So um, let's see, what else did we watch the other day that was pretty good? Oh, I watched on Netflix, through the streaming thing, I watched an older movie called Targets. And that's an older uh, Boris Karloff movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, had gone into it kind of cold. I didn't really know too much about it. Um, and it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it kind of seemed like it was sort of two movies kind of mishmashed and, and, and scrunched up into one. Um, and if you know a little bit of the backstory about the movie, uh, that kind of makes a little bit more sense. Uh, 
but it's worth it to watch. Um, if for nothing else, you get to see a lot of the cool old cars, and you get to see Karloff in in uh, something other than uh, you know being a scary horror type guy. Um, what else did we see? Let's see. I've been reading, uh, although I've I've uh, listened to his podcast version of um, Infected. I've been reading that again, so I, I like that. And that's by Scott Sigler. Uh, so I've been reading the uh, novel Infected by him. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to start up with the follow-up, which is Contagious. Now, he's supposed to have another one coming out, which he'll probably podcast, I'm sure, called um, Pandemic, I think is going to be the name of that. So I'm looking forward to that. But he's one of my favorite authors. I really like him a lot. Uh, let's see. You know, I think that's going to maybe about do it for the week. So uh, I will talk to you monkeys next time. This guy's got a monkey scrotum and he's bragging about it. Oh,